The following podcast contains adult themes and is suitable for mature audiences only. Hello and welcome to Lyrics of Their Life, the podcast that talks about the extraordinary lives lived by those that wrote or performed the songs we know and love. I'm your host Adam Hampton, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about Tracy Chapman. Known as one of the most underrated but beloved musicians of all time, and renowned for her incredible, soulful, soothing, blues-style vocals, her gritty, real-life story-based songwriting ability, and for standing up for the African-American community through her protest-style music, detailing the lives of the less fortunate and the lack of equality in the US. In this episode, we'll look at the rise of Tracy Chapman from her tough childhood days in a time clouded with racism, to performing at Wembley and having a string of classic hits such as Fast Car, Talking About a Revolution and Give Me One Reason as she attempted to bring folk music back from the dead during the 80s and the 90s. This is the story of Tracy Chapman. This is Lyrics of Their Life. Tracy Chapman was born on the 30th of March, 1964, in Cleveland, Ohio, in the United States of America. Tracy and her older sister Anita were raised by their mother Hazel Chapman after her parents divorced in 1968, when Tracy was just four years old. Her father would not have any relationship with his daughters, and would ultimately desert them. As a child, Tracy was quiet and shy, and enjoyed being in her own company. She loved animals and loved music from as young as she can remember. Tracy's mother Hazel was her biggest inspiration and was also a talented, musically minded and strong and independent woman herself. During the late 1960s after Tracy was born, her mother Hazel played professionally in an all-female gridiron team called the USA Daredevils of Cleveland as a wide receiver. Tracy's mother Hazel was a tough woman who received a number of injuries while playing, but wanted to test herself for her own self-esteem and attempt to earn some money from doing so, but it was very little. Tracy's mother Hazel also delved into poetry, writing, and singing, and later on, she would write a regular column for the local newspapers, and she did all she could to put food on the table. Hazel would go on to host her own TV talk show called The Hazel Chapman Show later in life. But things weren't so easy raising two children in a rough neighbourhood as a single mother. Hazel herself was the youngest of seven children. Her father was always working and her mother was always busy with household chores and attending to her seven children's needs. So Hazel was forced to grow up much quicker and to help out around the house and was often treated like an adult. Due to much of the attention not being directed at her, she would turn to books and enjoyed reading and became quite artistic. Hazel had no choice but to raise Tracy and Anita on welfare as jobs were simply scarce or racism would play a role in the struggles of landing a job. Hazel didn't want to ask for child support from Tracy and Anita's father, so she continued searching for work. Tracy said, We always had food to eat and a place to stay, but it was a fairly bare bones kind of thing. 
Eventually, Tracy's mother landed a job working for the state of Ohio and working for a workers' union as a steward, but this wouldn't come about until Tracy was a teenager. Tracy was raised as a Baptist, and when Tracy was just three years old, her mother brought her a ukulele as her first instrument with what little money they had. After noticing, she enjoyed music. Tracy lived in quite a rough neighbourhood, and a few years after getting her ukulele off of her mother, it was stolen by a girl believed to be one of her best friends who lived across the street. Tracy was a huge animal lover and had a pet rabbit who won third place at the local fair. During her schooling years, she began to play the organ. At age eight, she began writing simple songs, but they wouldn't start off as songs. Instead, they were poems and short stories. By grade six, around the age of 12, Tracy learnt clarinet. She began playing her mother's acoustic guitar around this time, worth just $20. Tracy was also inspired to write music by the television show Hee Haw, which was a family variety TV show that incorporated country music and comedy. By age 14, Tracy was writing more serious themed songs, with one in particular being called Cleveland 78, where Tracy took big moments from news headlines and put them into a song as she says, People were finding out about asbestos, and Andrew Young was in some sort of controversy, and I had something in there about flying saucers. In relation to the first time she picked up a guitar, she said, I've been singing ever since I was a child. My mother has a beautiful voice, as does my sister. At that point, I wasn't really listening to that much music at all, except what my parents were listening to, or my sister. I think I just picked up a guitar because my mother had played it at some point and started teaching myself things and writing my own songs. Growing up at my house was filled with all kinds of music. Music was always being played on the turntable or on the radio. My parents had a record collection of R&B, jazz and gospel music. On the radio, we listened to country and rock music. And on my own, I'd always listen to Casey Kasim's Top 20 Countdown on the weekend. Tracy's mother would often listen to a range of bands and musicians such as Neil Diamond, Mahalia Jackson, Shirley Caesar, Barbara Streisand, Gladys Knight and the Pips, Sure, the Bee Gees, the Four Tops, Fleetwood Mac, and occasionally blues, soul, and African-American artists, while her sister was a big fan of the band Journey, which without even knowing it at the time, would all influence her style of music. Tracy began writing songs by herself and with her sister Anita, and she admits that while they weren't that great, it was something that she loved to do, and that she felt it was a great way to express her emotions and feelings. Tracy also enjoyed playing sport and took a keen interest in basketball, which at the time was frowned upon by others. Tracy was an avid book reader and loved writing and learning as much information as possible. She was a very intelligent child who often excelled at school. Most of Tracy's spare time would be spent down at the public library, which would be one of the only places her protective mother would allow her to go on her own due to the dangerous area that they lived in. Tracy's mother was also a very intelligent woman who often shared her views with her daughters. When raised in a neighbourhood with others that didn't have the same free views as Tracy's mother, Tracy was quoted as saying, They were raised very differently from my sister and me, and they were appalled by the fact that I played basketball and that kind of stuff. And I remember one day they said, You know, God owns you, and your parents own you, and because your parents own you, they can do anything they want with you. And I was arguing, your parents don't own you, everybody's an individual, and you have the right to do whatever you want. There are consequences, but you can do what you want. And they were so upset with me. And finally their father came home, and they said, Tracy says you don't own us. And he said, well Tracy's wrong, 
Tracy continued by saying, As a child, I always had a sense of social conditions and political situations. I think it had to do with the fact that my mother was always discussing things with my sister and me, also because I read a lot. A lot of people in similar situations just have a sense that they're poor or disenfranchised, but they don't really think about what's created the situation or what factors don't allow them to control their lives. Due to Cleveland, Ohio being quite a dangerous area, the school that Tracy attended had metal detectors to stop students sneaking in knives, guns, and other weapons they could use to harm others. Tracy said she was terrified of attending school there, but knew her family had little choice but to remain there. Throughout her schooling years, Tracy would be the target of a range of bullying and beatings by other students, both over the colour of her skin and her love for being a self-confessed bookworm. When Tracy was just 13 years old, her school in Ohio began integrating black and white students into the same schools. This led to riots and racial tension in the region. On one particular day, Tracy was badly beaten and almost killed by a group of white male students, as she describes the ordeal, where she is quoted as saying, They shouted racial slurs at me. I responded to them, and they got really pissed off. They turned around and started beating me up. One guy in particular... It was snowing, and he knocked my books to the ground. Anyway, eventually we broke apart, and he reached into his boot and pulled out a gun. He told me to run, otherwise he was going to shoot me. I don't know why he didn't. My friends had taken off by this time. There were people watching from their windows, but they didn't do anything either. The experience was obviously quite traumatic for Tracy, but it would be the very moment that would drive her to escape the area and chase her dreams by working harder to get into college. She would leave the Cleveland area stating, I have to say honestly, I don't have any fond memories of this place. Tracy knuckled down at school, determined to get out of there, and earned herself an ABC, or a Better Chance Minority Placement Scholarship, at Worcester School in Danbury, Connecticut. It was a small private boarding school where Tracy initially struggled to fit in as a 15-year-old, as she was one of the only students there from a poor family background. Tracy was quoted as saying, Students there just said very stupid things. They had never met a poor person before. In some ways they were curious, but in ways that were just insulting. The school focused heavily on the arts, music and theatre, which was perfect for expanding Tracy's creative mind and skills. The school was very encouraging of social and political discussion, which would ultimately filter into Tracy's music later on. Tracy's mother and sister hoped she would break free of the struggles of Ohio, and that's exactly what she did, realising that she wanted to improve her own life and support herself and her family. Despite enjoying the new school, Tracy often felt awkward and out of place, stating, Even though almost everything was paid for, my books and transportation, to and from vacations, you'd end up on shorter vacations where you couldn't really go home and you couldn't stay at the school, so you'd have to go to someone's house and often they were people I didn't know, and you did get the sense that they felt like they were doing charity work. At Worcester, Tracy received high grades of B and B+, and once again proved her intelligence. She was regarded by her teachers at the school as a natural athlete who excelled at basketball and soccer. Many of the students at Worcester were interested in folk music, most notably the guitar, and introduced Tracy to the work of popular folk and blues artists of the time including Neil Young, Crosby, Stills and Nash, and Bob Dylan. Known for his great protest and political theme songs, and blues acoustic and folk style hits such as Blowing in the Wind and The Times They Are A-Changing, 
she would be inspired by Dylan to pursue this style further. Tracy's teachers would recognise Tracy's talents and gave her a number of opportunities to perform for the school. This led her to meet the chaplain of the school, who would lend his guitar to her for a period of time after noticing her talent and due to the fact that Tracy couldn't afford to buy her own. The chaplain encouraged her to get one, if she could, but as time passed, he called Tracy into his office and handed her a cheque with enough cash to buy her a brand new guitar after he himself and others including students and teachers at the school contributed to helping her buy her first guitar. It was a beautiful gesture that would ultimately kickstart her career. Tracy would often be seen around the campus, sitting on a white fence outside her dorm room, playing guitar, or in a small high ceiling chapel, as it had great acoustics. In 1982, Tracy would graduate from Worcester, and in the class yearbook was Tracy's photo, with a quote from an African American feminist that reads, There is always something to do. There are hungry people to feed, naked people to clothe, sick people to comfort, and make well. And while I don't expect you to save the world, I do think it's not asking too much for you to love those with whom you sleep, share the happiness of those who call you friend, engage those among you who are visionary, and remove from your life those who offer you depression, despair, and disrespect. Also in the yearbook included predictions from each student with Tracy's reading, Will Marry Her Guitar, and Live Happily Ever After. Although Tracy was clearly a talented young musician and had been encouraged to enter a career as a musician, Tracy was more interested in becoming a veterinarian as she was a huge animal lover. So after graduating from Worcester in 1982 and being accepted by six different universities with five offering financial support, Tracy decided to enroll at Tufts University located near Boston in the US. It was here where she studied biology and veterinarian studies, as she stated, one of the reasons I chose Tufts is that they have one of the best veterinary schools in the country. Since I was six years old, I wanted to be a veterinarian. But after commencing her studies, Tracy soon had a change of heart and decided to study anthropology instead, where she would learn to study human behaviour and human civilization in the past and present, focusing mainly on Western African cultures. She felt this gave her more time to play her music as she would venture out and perform in public. During her time at Tufts University, Tracy also realised her other passion for photography and began teaching herself how to draw. Tracy always had a strong appreciation for art, as Cleveland had a great arts museum during her childhood where she would often go with the school on excursions. Tracy would continue this trend and visit art museums whenever she could. In order to support her study and career aspirations, she worked part-time as a bike messenger and courier, as well as mowing lawns and performing grounds maintenance work. But her most interesting job involved babysitting monkeys, after landing the job through her biology major. Tracy would eventually graduate with a bachelor's degree in anthropology and African studies, and she thought about entering into a graduate degree in ethnomusicology, but instead opted to stick to playing music and continuing her studies in anthropology. During Tracy's college days, she continued with exploring her love of music and performing at small venues, coffee shops, churches, the university, and busking on the streets, performing mostly original songs as well as some covers. She began to build a good solid following and her name started to get around town. Tracy would busk at Harvard Square and at coffee shops in Cambridge. 
previously while at Wooster, Tracy wrote a song called Talking About a Revolution, and the track became a college hit with fellow students at the university, as it played on the university's radio station. Tracy also worked with an African drum band during her time at university, but preferred working as a solo artist and developed her own folk-style sound. Shortly after, she was offered a record deal, but turned it down as she wanted to focus on her education first, as Tracy was determined to have plenty of backup options if one should fail. Despite knocking back her first serious offer, Tracy's classmate, Brian Koppelman, was made aware of her talents after he was searching for a musician to sing at his apartheid protest rally to be held at the university. After his friend told him about Tracy and her great musical talents, Brian went and saw her performing at a local coffee house and he couldn't believe how great and natural of a talent she was. As he said, Tracy walked onto stage and it was like an epiphany. Her presence, her voice, her songs, her sincerity, it all came across. It was immediately clear to me that she was among the most gifted people walking the earth. Interested in what Tracy had to offer, Brian would meet up with Tracy after the show and said to her, I have been managing bands since I was 13 and producing demos and working in record companies every summer. And I really have work to be my own person, but you're so extraordinary. I think my dad can help you and we should find a way to do something together. But once again, Tracy wasn't so interested and was only keen to perform at the rally as she too cared passionately about its message. Tracy performed at the rally and Brian watched on once again in amazement as she filled people's eyes with tears and the emotion and honesty she put into her original material was too hard to ignore. Tracy kept moving along, performing at small venues, coffee houses, busking, and even performing at gay and lesbian nightclubs and bars. Brian continued to follow her performances and kept asking to work with her, but Tracy continued to knock him back. Realising that Tracy was going to slip through his fingers, he realised he needed to act quickly when he found out that she had recorded her first demo, which included the track called Talking About a Revolution, and had taken it to the Tufts University radio station that was on campus called WMFO. Brian snuck into the radio station's recording booth, and while his friend distracted the DJ, Brian snuck in and took the demo tape. They then returned to their room and copied it onto a cassette. Brian then sent the cassette to his father and informed him just how talented Tracy was. Brian's father was Charles Koppelman, known for his highly successful music publishing company, SBK, which he was a part of. Charles especially flew down to watch Chapman perform and was blown away, as he said, her songs were wonderful melodies with important lyrics. That was enough, but when I saw her in front of an audience, when she smiled, everyone smiled. When she was serious, you could hear a pin drop. Charles Koppelman quickly moved to sign Tracy to SBK Publishing in 1986 after months of Tracy second-guessing her singing, with Elliot Roberts being assigned as her manager, who had also worked with the likes of Joni Mitchell, Tom Petty, The Cars, Bob Dylan, and Neil Young. Brian then set out to land her a record deal and took her demo to a range of record labels, with many knocking her back. But it would only take one to turn her fortunes around, and that one was Electra who signed Tracy Chapman in 1987 at just the age of 22. Although Electra had signed Tracy, they didn't expect much from her and didn't actually think that she would sell overly well commercially, but they were impressed by her voice and songwriting ability in the demo for talking about a revolution. Tracy wasn't sure if being a commercial artist was what she wanted and always doubted that she would ever get signed by a major label, but she decided to roll with it and see where it took her. 
She was quoted as saying, I have to say that I never thought I would get a contract with a major record label. All the time since I was a kid listening to records and the radio, I didn't think there was any indication that record people would find the kind of music that I did marketable. Especially when I was singing songs like Talking About a Revolution during the 70s. I didn't see a place for me there. The very first song Tracy would record and release after signing her record deal would be called For My Lover and was included and sold with the local Boston paper called Fast Folk Magazine. Tracy then began working on her debut album with producer David Kirschenbaum. Tracy was determined to have the meaning and integrity of her lyrics in her songs left intact and Kirschenbaum said, she said right off the bat that she wanted the record to be real simple. I wanted to make sure that she was in front, vocally and thematically, and that everything was built around her. When referring to what Tracy brought to the label as refreshing, David said, I'd been looking for something acoustic to do for some time. There was a sense in the industry of a slight boredom with everything out there and that people might be willing to listen again to lyrics and someone who made statements. The album itself took eight weeks to put together during 1987 and when played for executives at Elektra, not one person had a negative word to say about the album. But a majority of the executives in the room believed that despite being a great sounding album, that it wouldn't sell more than 50,000 copies, and they worried, as the 80s had been dominated by synthesizers and bright pop and party music, as opposed to singer-songwriters. On the 5th of April, 1988, Tracy Chapman released her debut self-titled album to the world, with brilliant singles such as Fast Car, Talking About a Revolution, and Baby Can I Hold You. Tracy's debut album would become a smash hit. It became critically acclaimed, and she was praised for her storytelling-type acoustic ballads and soulful blues folk-style vocals and her incredible ability as a guitarist. Tracy captured many sorrowful stories from both others and her own experiences, bringing a refreshing sound to the 80s. Tracy Chapman's album charted at number one in eight countries, including the UK, New Zealand, Germany and the US and also made it to number two in a further three countries, including Australia, Sweden, and Norway. Overall to this day, the album has sold a whopping 20 million copies worldwide, going seven times platinum in the UK and Australia, and six times platinum in the US, with six million copies being sold there. Tracy would even become one of the first female musicians to surpass 10 million album sales. The raw storytelling in Tracy's songs helped to develop an emotional connection between the listener and Tracy, and the world quickly fell in love with the new star. A day after the album's release, on the 6th of April 1988, Tracy released her debut single, titled Fast Car. Fast Car would quickly become a popular song on radio and managed to chart at number one in four countries, including Ireland, Canada and Belgium and made the top five in the UK and Australia, and number six in the US, selling well over five million copies of the single worldwide. Fast Car's success led the album to sell incredibly well, selling two million copies in the US in just its first two weeks. Over the years it would return to the charts including in 2011, in the UK, where it made it to number four, beating its previous position on its release, by one after a contestant on Britain's Got Talent sung the track. Fast Car has since been ranked at number 167 on the Rolling Stones list of 500 greatest songs of all time. While the song wasn't said to be directly related to Tracy's life, it did include some very close similarities as Tracy was raised in a poor family. With her father leaving the family home when she was young, 
She worked a number of deadbeat jobs to make it by and escape through becoming a musician. In Fast Car, Tracy beautifully tells the story of a young woman raised in poverty attempting to break free of the constraints of being poor as she is frightened of living and dying this way. Her mother left her drunken father that requires significant care due to his problems and the woman, or his daughter, feels a responsibility to fill that role. Tracy tells the story of the woman who is in a relationship with a man who once made her feel loved and like she belonged, but unfortunately he is quite lazy, he is unemployed and doesn't support her ambitions as he drags her down with him. The woman in the song dreams about her plans of landing average day jobs to make ends meet and feeling as though she possesses the ability to one day be something special, perhaps as a musician and experience the better things in life through financial gain as she dreams of owning her own house with her partner in the suburbs. Tracy uses the fast car as a metaphor for the woman in the song, wanting to leave her past behind and start afresh. Tracy stated about the song, It's not really about a car at all. Basically, it's about a relationship that doesn't work out because it's starting from the wrong place. On the 11th of June, 1988, when Tracy was invited to perform at Nelson Mandela's 70th birthday concert held at Wembley Stadium in London, Known also as Freedom Fest, musicians and people from all around the world gathered to support Nelson Mandela for his anti-apartheid revolution and against his imprisonment. Tracy couldn't believe she was standing in front of 100,000 people and broadcast to 600 million people across 67 countries. Tracy at the time, who was generally unknown to most of the world, performed early in the broadcast when viewership was at its lowest where she sung several of her tracks from her debut album, including Fast Car. After her performance, Tracy headed backstage to relax, but when Stevie Wonder was set to perform later on in the primetime slot and his performance discs went missing, organisers had no choice but to select an artist to go and perform to fill his spot. The artist they chose happened to be Tracy Chapman, and they told her to just go out and perform Fast Car. Tracy took to the stage, and due to her performance in the primetime slot, Fast Car instantly took off and sold incredibly well and saw her rise on the charts all around the world. All thanks to that opportunistic moment, like it was fate. From this performance, Fast Car became a massive hit and Tracy was regarded as a rising star. When speaking to the website About.net, Tracy spoke about the importance of the event and how it made her feel, as she said, quote, it meant so much to me to take part in the Nelson Mandela Freedom Concert and lend my voice to the call for an end to apartheid and the call to release Nelson Mandela from prison. I felt many things that day, but the overriding emotion was one of all. Nelson Mandela is one of my heroes and to be given the chance to support him and his cause for freedom was a great honour. Taking the stage that day was daunting for many reasons and I had feared that I would be too overwhelmed by the circumstances to perform. Lucky for me, I was called to the stage on very short notice, and so I had no time to dwell on the possibility of paralysing stage fright. What I recall about what I thought and felt that day, and what I notice when I see the footage, are two different things. From my perspective on stage, I remember the enormous sea of people, and I could tell that they were listening. I felt immensely grateful for the goodwill and the warm reception. It was a deeply humbling experience that I'll never forget. During July 1988, Tracy then released the second single called Talking About a Revolution. While it didn't chart the best worldwide, it did however become popular on radio 
and became popular as a theme for rallies and protests. Much later in 2011, in Tunisia, the song became a big hit on radio at the time as the country was going through a period of government corruption, unemployment and social inequalities and revolution. Resistance against the government from civilians lasted 28 days who took to the streets in protest. The song was covered by Israeli band Shemel and retitled Talking About an Arab Revolution. Tracy said she wrote the song during her boarding school days at Worcester stating, At that time, I met a lot of students and also teachers who were involved in political causes. A lot of the people who were teaching us were just a few years out of college and they were pretty aware. During my first year there, there was all this talk about the reinstatement of the draft, and people were really focused on that and the whole question of nuclear weapons. So I started to deal with some larger political issues outside of where I had come from, what I had grown up seeing. Tracy speaks from both an outsider's perspective and her own in relation to being poor, the welfare system, and the potential for a revolt if these conditions don't improve for the poor, most notably being the African-American community. When Tracy sings the line, don't you know, they're talking about a revolution, it sounds like a whisper. In this line, Tracy refers to the lack of impact just talking about a revolution has, and instead, if they were to act and be heard through their actions, such as protest, then they would make much more of a statement. Tracy also suggests, if poor people were forced to take action, that it could get ugly as she sings, poor people gonna rise up and get their share, poor people gonna rise up and take what's theirs. On the 1st of October, 1988, Tracy would release one of her most underrated singles titled Baby Can I Hold You. Despite the sad but romantic folk ballad only reaching number one in Portugal, it became popular on adult contemporary charts in the US and on radio. In the song, Tracy changes up the pace opting for a love song rather than a social or political commentary, and basically conveys to her lover that all they need to do to please her and for their relationship to continue smoothly is to treat her well, love her, and be able to say sorry and be forgiving. Other tracks from the album that stand out include Across the Lines, where Tracy suggests the way the media tweaks stories to create a racial divide between white and black Americans and how African Americans are portrayed or simply deemed as not important enough to make the news in a more positive light. She attempts to bring both white and black Americans together and hopes for peace as she sings, Across the lines, who would dare to go under the bridge, over the tracks, that separates whites from blacks. Choose sides, run for your life. Tonight the riots begin. On the back streets of America, they kill the dream of America. Little black girl gets assaulted. Ain't no reason why. Newspaper prints the story and racist tempers fly. Next day it starts a riot. Knives and guns are drawn. Two black boys get killed. One white boy goes blind. In a compelling almost spoken word track called Behind the Wall, Tracy addresses the blunt truth of America's huge problem with domestic violence against women and her concerns over the lack of importance police place on helping those that reach out for help in those situations and only step in when it's too late. The album overall is brilliant from start to finish and continues to speak about similar themes of protest, love and equality with some of the best tracks including Mountains of Things where Tracy sings about there being more to life than material things and the track For My Lover that speaks about the desire to be with another despite the disapproval of others. The track likely was written by Tracy about coming out as being a gay woman and the stigma around being in an interracial relationship when she later dated Alice Walker. 
Tracy always remained extremely private about her sexuality and life outside of music, stating that their relationship, quote, was delicious and lovely and wonderful, and I totally enjoyed it, and I was completely in love with her, but it was not anybody's business but ours. I have a public life, that's my work life, and I have my personal life. In some ways, the decision to keep the two things separate relates to the work I do. For My Lover appears to symbolise society's views on homosexuality at the time and how it was outlawed in most states in the US and treated as a mental illness instead of a natural attraction. Tracy describes the lengths she would go to for love and the way she is made to feel like she is serving a prison sentence for her sexuality. As Tracy sings, Two weeks in a Virginia jail, For my lover, for my lover. $20,000 bail, for my lover, for my lover. And everybody thinks that I'm the fool, but they don't get any love from you. The things we don't do for love, I'd climb a mountain if I had to, risk my life so I could have you. Every day I'm psychoanalyzed, for my lover, for my lover. They dope me up and tell me lies. On the 22nd of February, 1989, Tracy Chapman attended the 31st Annual Grammy Awards in LA, where she had been nominated across six categories and managed to win three of them, including Best Pop Vocal Performance for Fast Car, Best Contemporary Folk Recording, and Best New Artist. Tracy missed out on Song of the Year for Fast Car, being narrowly beat to the Grammy by Bobby McFerrin for Don't Worry Be Happy, and for Album of the Year being beaten by George Michael with Faith. Tracy also won Brit Awards and AMAs for Best New Artist, as everything was looking incredibly bright for the soon-to-be 24-year-old. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Hi everyone, and sorry to interrupt. I hope you're enjoying this episode, but I just wanted to take this opportunity to tell you four ways on how you can support the podcast and play your part in keeping it going, so I can continue to bring you more great episodes. If you enjoy Lyrics of Their Life podcast, first of all it would be greatly appreciated if you could subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. It's totally free to do, it just means that you will receive a notification when a new episode of the podcast becomes available. Secondly, you can leave the podcast a positive 5 star review on iTunes as this helps the podcast reach a larger audience. Third of all, you can tell your friends all about the podcast or join us on our social media pages at Facebook, Instagram, TikTok and Twitter. While finally, you can take your support one step further and head to our Patreon page and pledge your support to one of two of our plans for just $1 or $5 per month with no locking contract. Or you can pledge just a one-off payment for all the hard work that goes into creating the podcast. And you will receive a number of extra benefits to go with your donation. Or you can even buy me a beer for $5 at buymeacoffee.com forward slash lyrics of life pod. I am a totally independent podcast creator, meaning there are no large networks or businesses financially supporting my work. So your support would be greatly appreciated as it means I can continue creating more content such as biographies, the weekly muse, interviews and more as it takes a lot of time, resources and research to prepare and upload just one single episode. Links to Patreon and Buy Me A Coffee can be found in the show notes on our website at lyricsoftheirlife.com or on our Facebook page. Once again, I appreciate every one of my listeners for their support, no matter the form it comes in. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the episode.
On October 3rd, 1989, Tracy Chapman released her second studio album, titled Crossroads. Working once again with David Kirschenbaum, the album would sell a total of 7 million copies worldwide and was considered by critics as a step backwards compared to her previous debut album, despite selling a generous amount of albums and the album itself having a great selection of material. With Tracy's brilliant songwriting ability, vocals and instrumentalist ability on display once again. Crossroads peaked at number 8 in Sweden and 9 in the US, but was quite underrated. Besides the track Subsidy, that delves into the struggles of African Americans and those living in poverty in the US, ignored by the government for assistance, Tracy would slightly move away from the themes of protest and society's issues and decided instead to focus more on her own personal journey, the dangers of materialism due to Tracy's newfound success, which is heard in the song Material World, the struggles of relationships and love in the songs Bridges, A Hundred Years and Be Careful of My Heart, and finding the right path in life, feeling as though she is caught at a crossroads, which is commonly mentioned throughout the album. The lead single titled Crossroads, when observing the lyrics, strongly suggests Tracy is speaking about both the injustice in society and the rich ruling over the poor, as well as herself and her own experiences of being stuck at a crossroads with her career and in life, not knowing which path to take next to lead her to happiness and success, but wanting to stay true to the good person she knows she is. In the song, she speaks a lot about the devil or demons being in the form of a man attempting to corrupt her, similar to the likes of Robert Johnson, and suggests that due to her success of her debut album, she is getting pulled in every direction in order to make a buck for rich businessmen or perhaps her record label executives using her for their own personal gain. Tracy appears to be fighting to keep her identity and to keep producing the music that feels natural to her, but she is being pressured to conform to the record label's demands as Tracy sings, All you folks think you own my life, but you never made any sacrifice. Demons, they are on my trail. I'm standing at the crossroads of the hell. I look to the left, I look to the right. There's hands that grab me on every side. All you folks think I got my price, at which I'll sell all that is mine. You think money rules when all else fails. Go sell your soul and keep your shell. I'm trying to protect what I keep inside, all the reasons why I live my life. Some say the devil be a mystical thing. I say the devil, he a walking man. He a fool, he a liar, conjurer and a thief. He try to tell you what you want, try to tell you what you need. She continues by singing, All you folks think you run my life. Say I should be willing to compromise. I say all you demons go back to hell. I'll save my soul, save myself. Tracy's acoustic scratching and strumming style technique makes for a great effect and unique sound that blends beautifully with a rolling bongo drum beat. Crossroads is arguably Tracy's most underrated single release as it only managed to peak at number 11 in Ireland and reached the top 30 in Italy, Australia and the Netherlands, New Zealand, Switzerland and some US rock charts. Other great tracks from the album include Bridges where Tracy sings regretfully about the end to a relationship and the karma or ghosts that come back to haunt you for your choices. Tracy continues to deliver great tracks on the album with Freedom Now about the great Nelson Mandela as Tracy sings, They throwed him in jail and they kept him there, hoping his memory died, that the people forget how he once led and fought for justice in their lives. While the highly underrated blues track with a jazz twist titled Born to Fight is a great song that has a double meaning, 
similar to Crossroads in relation to record label executives trying to manipulate Tracy into conforming to their ways, and also appears as a type of black protest song that explores the strong will of many African Americans and the times their rights were taken from them, with the music video depicting this also. While in the song this time, Tracy attempts to learn to love herself and take care of her needs first, for the first time in her life, as she has been hurt by a past lover and fears rejection. Finally, the track All That You Have Is Your Soul, which managed to receive some airplay as a single in Australia, explores temptation and the importance of resisting as she sings the brilliant line, So don't be tempted by the shiny apple, don't you eat of a bitter fruit, hunger only for a taste of justice, hunger only for a word of truth, cause all that you have is your soul. Tracy's work is truly poetic and her songwriting ability only got better and better despite a decline in album sales. After a year-long break, along with a number of live shows, Tracy returned to the studio in 1991, where she began working on her third studio album, called Matters of the Heart, and she began working with Jimmy Iovine. On the 28th of April, 1992, Tracy released Matters of the Heart to the world, but she would be disappointed when it only managed to make it to number 37 in Sweden and 53 in the US. The album was criticised heavily by critics and has only sold 2 million copies worldwide to this day. While the album was considered a flop and Tracy seemed destined to be an artist that would fade away, the album included some solid tracks including the lead single Bang Bang Bang, Tracy wrote the track about gun control in America and the ease of which anyone can have access to weapons. She feels the government are responsible for the shootings in the country as they are the ones putting guns in young people's hands by not enforcing strict legislation against firearms. Then when those young people, especially the African American community, come back to kill others in the future, as their life hasn't worked out due to the lack of opportunities, and the only choice they've ever had is to make it by selling drugs, they are either prosecuted or shot dead by police themselves, and all the blame is thrust onto the perpetrator, who is actually the victim, and none of the blame falls on the government for creating the problem in the first place. The song is sung from a variety of perspectives, including the government, the boy, and Tracy, as Tracy delivers some confronting but honest and eye-opening lyrics when she sings, What you gonna do? You go and give the boy a gun. Now there ain't no place to run to. Ain't no place to run. When he hold it in his hand, he feel mighty, he feel strong. One day he may come back, repay us for what we've done. Then where you gonna run to? Where you gonna go? But one fine day, all our problems will be solved. Bang, 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 we'll shoot him down. Give him drugs and give him candy. Anything to make him think he's happy. And he won't ever come for us. But if he does, and if there's no one else around, bang, 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 we'll shoot him down. Tracy then explains the racist mindset of some police and the government in the US, where she sings, If he preys only on his neighbours, brothers, sisters and friends, We'll consider it a favour. We'll consider it justice done. But if he comes for you or me, and we can place a gun in his hand, bang, 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 we'll shoot him dead. Tracy does a great job at explaining the vicious cycle most African Americans deal with on a daily basis that has plagued the US for far too long and still does to this day. Finally, the track I Used To Be A Sailor was written with Tracy's beloved grandfather in mind, stating... He was very independent and robust and passed away after a long illness. After another year-long break and a short tour, 
Tracy returned to the studio once again, this time opting against producer Jimmy Iovine for Don Gehrman instead. On the 14th of November 1995, Tracy's fourth studio album, titled New Beginnings, was released. The album was a return to form for Tracy in terms of hits and sales, with New Beginnings selling 7.6 million copies across the world and charting at number 4 in the US, where it went 5 times platinum, selling 5 million copies there alone. It went to number 6 in Australia, going 3 times platinum there, 8 in New Zealand, and 9 in Austria. The album also went 7 times platinum in Canada. The album New Beginnings was very deep, at times sad and raw with many ballads about loss of love, changing the world for the better, loneliness and wanting that love to return, including the track The Promise, which became a popular song amongst her fans. The song The Rape of the World is about Tracy's sadness over what humans are doing to the planet and how humanity is destroying Earth through bombs, deforestation, mining and the way the less fortunate and poor are being treated and left behind. Tracy hopes to open her listeners' eyes to the devastation we as humans are causing as she pleads for change. This subject matter flows into the song Heaven's Here on Earth, as Tracy claims that heaven can be right here on Earth rather than be just a place we go when we die, if we can wake up today and make a change for the better. One of Tracy's singles from the album, called New Beginnings, also was about wanting the world to start afresh and the Earth needing a rebirth from all the destruction humans have caused. In the track, Tracy plays a didgeridoo after learning how to play at the Alice Springs University in the Northern Territory in Australia while on tour. A slight controversy arose at the time around this, as in some Aboriginal tribes, it was frowned upon for women to play the instrument. Tracy's biggest hit from the album, and since her debut album, was titled Give Me One Reason. The sassy folk blues and rock and roll style track managed to go to number one in Canada and Iceland, and charted at number 3 in Australia and the US. The track was a big success in the US, charting within the top 5 on a range of US rock, alternative and adult charts, and selling over 1 million copies of the single in the US alone. The track utilises the classic 12-bar blues rhythm, as Tracy sings about being in a relationship and being a sucker for love and pain, as the narrator sends mixed signals pleading to their partner to make them stay, despite initially stating they were going to leave the relationship to avoid giving in and feeling like the weak one in the relationship. As Tracy sings, give me one reason to stay here and I'll turn right back around. Said I don't want to leave you lonely, you got to make me change my mind. Tracy wrote the song back in the 80s, and it was often believed that Janis Joplin had wrote the song due to the style and sound of the song, but this wasn't the case. By the end of the album, Tracy sings the track, I'm Ready, suggesting she is now ready for the new beginning, and for the next chapter in her journey, in love and life to begin. On the 26th of February, 1997, Tracy Chapman attended the 39th Annual Grammy Awards, around 8 years since her first Grammy win, in 1989. Tracy was up for four awards that night for the track Give Me One Reason, including Record of the Year, Song of the Year, and Best Female Rock Vocal Performance. But Tracy took home just the one Grammy that night for Give Me One Reason, winning Best Rock Song after it somehow got categorised into the rock category. It marked the second year in a row that a female musician had won the Grammy for Best Rock Song with Alanis Morissette with You Oughta Know. Tracy Chapman was now a four-time Grammy Award winner. That same year, Tracy appeared alongside blues legend B.B. King for his track The Thrill Is Gone for an ultimate blues collaboration. 
Tracy would tour for a brief period and then step away from the music industry for some time, returning in 1999 to the studio in preparation for a fifth studio album titled Telling Stories, this time rehiring David Kirschenbaum as a producer. Released officially on the 14th of February 2000, Telling Stories would unfortunately receive average reviews by critics and struggled to sell over 1.7 million copies worldwide with her last commercially successful album being New Beginnings. However, Tracy was never concerned about the fame and just wanted to keep producing her own music, which was her passion. The album Telling Stories saw Tracy return to shorter form songs after New Beginnings had songs exceeding over six minutes. Tracy played acoustic guitar, the bazooki Greek guitar, and even the harp on the album. Telling Stories achieved its greatest success around Europe, where it made the top five in Austria, Germany and Switzerland, the top 10 in New Zealand and France and peaked at number 33 in both Australia and the US. The lead single of the same name managed to chart at number 22 in New Zealand. Tracy would continue to bring her beloved fans great albums over the years, keeping her legacy alive and continuing to tell both her own story and about the lives of others, whether it be about love, loss, protest or social matters. In October 2001, Elektra released a Tracy Chapman compilation album titled The Collection, which managed to sell close to 3 million copies worldwide, and charted inside the top 10 in 9 countries including Australia, the UK and New Zealand, and even went to number 1 in Austria. This was followed in October 2002 by Tracy's 6th studio album titled Let It Rain, that made its way to number 25 on the US Billboard 200 selling 1.3 million records and was Tracy's final studio album to eclipse 1 million sales. In September 2005, Tracy released her seventh studio album titled Where You Live. The album sold around 600,000 copies worldwide and managed once again to be successful across Europe, charting at number 4 in Switzerland, 7 in France and Austria and 9 in Italy. It included an underrated single titled Change that failed to chart but is well worth a listen. At the age of 44, Tracy Chapman would release her eighth and final studio album to this day, called Our Bright Future, during November of 2008. The album managed to go to number 5 in France and number 9 in Switzerland, but only managed to make it to number 57 in the US, 75 in the UK and 81 in Australia. It did however improve sales-wise compared to her previous album, Where You Live, with Our Bright Future selling around 700,000 copies to this day. The album was even nominated for a Grammy for Best Folk Contemporary Album and includes some solid tracks such as I Did It All and Sing For You, but once again they struggled to break onto the mainstream. In 2015, a Tracy Chapman Greatest Hits album was released, but only sold close to 400,000 copies and lacked the right promotion. That same year, Tracy performed as one of the final ever musical guests on The Late Show with David Letterman as she took to the stage to pay tribute to Ben E. King by singing Stand By Me. The rendition was so great that it went viral on social media, YouTube and landed her a string of interviews. In 2018, a lawsuit was opened by Tracy Chapman against American R&B and hip-hop artist Nicki Minaj as she claimed Nicki had unfairly used a sample, lyrics and vocal melody of Tracy's song Baby Can I Hold You in the track called Sorry that was blocked from being released after Tracy declined to give Minaj permission. Due to Minaj using the parts of the song without seeking Tracy's permission and the track leaking to a radio station, and after a lengthy two-year court battle, 
Tracy Chapman came out on top in January 2021, winning $450,000 in a settlement, and the song was blocked from being released at all. Tracy spoke about the case coming to an end with relief, stating, I am glad to have this matter resolved and grateful for this legal outcome, which affirms that artists' rights are protected by law and should be respected by other artists. I was asked in this situation numerous times for permission to use my song. In each instance, politely and in a timely manner, I unequivocally said no. Apparently Miss Minaj chose not to hear, despite my clear intentions. Over the years, Tracy has given a lot back to charities and communities that she cares deeply about. Some of these include Make Poverty History, Human Rights, AIDS Research, and Helping Out at Cleveland Elementary Schools. For her work in the music industry and to social activism, she received an honorary doctorate from St. Xavier University in Chicago in 1997, and an honorary doctorate in fine arts at the same university where she graduated at Tufts University in 2004. Tracy Chapman has now sold around 47 million albums worldwide and has claimed four Grammys over her career that began in 1988 with the massive hit, Fast Car. Her debut album was a smash hit and thanks to that faithful performance at Nelson Mandela's 70th birthday, it set her up with a long and successful career spanning over three decades. Today Tracy is now 56 years old and continues to tour around the world as a talented songwriting vocalist and multi-instrumentalist the world has come to know and adore. Tracy remains a private person who prefers to stay well away from the trappings of social media and rightly so. She has inspired the likes of Paloma Faith, John Mayer, Jewel and many folk and blues musicians today. While often seen as an underdog and as an underrated artist that doesn't receive the credit she deserves, in another sense, Tracy Chapman remains one of the world's most respected and beloved musicians who will forever live on as an artist who was able to perfectly portray the story of both her own experiences and others and make them relatable and speak to so many around the world. She never dreamed of becoming a star or craved the life of fame like so many other artists. Rather, she just did it for the love of music and to spread her messages of love, peace, and for a better, just, and fair world for all. Thank you all so much for joining me for the story of Tracy Chapman. Don't forget to check out our other episodes from season one and two, and if you're new to the podcast, be sure to join us next week for another amazing episode, which will be revealed on our social media pages during the week. For more information regarding this episode, including weekly updates and more, head to our Facebook page at Lyrics of Their Life Podcast or our website at lyricsoftheirlife.com. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to give back for the hard work that goes into it, it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave a review on iTunes, let your friends know about what they've been missing out on, and click the free subscribe button to the podcast so you can receive new episodes direct to you when they become available. If you would like to support the podcast financially, then feel free to head to Patreon, where you can pledge your support for as little as $1 a month. Every bit of support is greatly appreciated, and it means I can continue bringing you more great episodes in the future. Once again... Thank you all for listening. I'm your host, Adam Hampton, and this is Lyrics of Their Life.